finale is an executive coach, professional speaker, coaching supervisor, and author creating no-nonsense and neuroscience solutions to help leaders and teams be better humans at work. He coaches and trains people to get results with a brain in mind. Jeff helps leaders and teams who are experiencing significant change, uncertainty, and ever-increasing expectations to get clear in their thinking, generate insights, and take action on new ideas to achieve results they never thought possible, which makes him a perfect guest for a podcast that focuses on frontline adaption and the enrollment office at your university. It's a fast-paced office, and the staff development is crucial to sustainable growth. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, so let's move into the episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reboot Higher Ed. Um, today, I'm sitting here with Jeff Nally. Hello, Jeff. Hello, how are you, Paul? Good. And um, Jeff, on our last episode, we talked about professional development, the development of the admissions counselors within the office, and then also, you know, the much needed focus on leadership and the development of leadership. If admissions leaders, and that's your directors of admissions, your, your dean of admissions, if they're there to task to to do a lot with little the people in the office are the ones that are going to get it done the ones that if you're going to grow enrollment you got to have uh, the good people working with the prospective students jeff tell us a little bit about your background first sure uh so i'm an executive coach and a professional speaker about the neuroscience of leadership how to use simple basic brain science to be more human at work uh, my career has been in fortune 100 companies healthcare and manufacturing i'm led executive coaching and leadership development in those organizations. And my real passion is how can we take the science of what we know now versus what we thought we knew five, 10 or 20 years ago and help people be better people at work. As you can see are here, we have the right person here for uh, this type of conversation. So Jeff, which many your experience um, outside of just, we don't even have to focus on the fact that we're going to be, you know, that my, podcast really focuses on higher ed and that higher education leadership, but professionals in the workplace, leading an admissions team, the leaders need leadership too. It can't just be, uh, I need to train my staff. What's your, like, what's your experience with that? Like make, you know, how do you speak to the leaders or what, what, what should they be kind of looking at, I guess, in their own reflection and what resources do you think might be out there for them to, to begin that discussion, I guess, within a with their, with their leader, or do you have experience talking to, to people that are dealing with that? Yes, it's kind of like physician heal thyself. Leaders sometimes are the last people to think that they need their own development. Uh, they are rightly concerned and worried about how do I provide development for my team, but as leaders, if we don't take care of ourselves and expand our skills or our thinking or get outside of our own silo or box or organization, then we don't see the landscape like we really need to, and we end up letting our teams and our organizations down. So I think the first rule is don't neglect professional development or leadership development for yourself as a leader or the leaders in your organization. Uh, Several years ago, Harvard Business Review uh, came to me and other executive coaches inside corporations, and this is right after the 2008 economic decline and and, uh, almost depression. Uh, uh, in the in the country, and they said, well, you know, uh, what are you seeing in terms of professional development? Aren't companies 
and organizations canceling all their leadership development. And what we found was, no, even in the downtime of an economy, you cannot afford not to invest in your leaders. That's the best time to do it. So when times are tough, budgets are tight, competition is difficult, that's not the time to pull back on developing and growing your leaders. What are, when are leaders are thinking about that those opportunities, are there any common errors or mistakes you, you think that they make at that point when they're thinking, I need to get some development? Is there is there any kind of trends in that? Um, not that I want people walking on eggshells like, ooh, I really need to be careful. You know, we want them thinking development, but what are some maybe common, common misnomers about development? Yeah, I think some common uh, routine mistakes or myths are that, well, if I just send myself to a course, a training program where there's 20, 40, or 100 other people in one topic for two or three hours, that's really what I need. In most cases, that's not it. Uh, it really is important for leaders to figure out what would be the one thing I would spend a little money on and time on that would really take the needs that my organization has for me to the next level. It's like the plus one. There's lots of development I can do, but what's the one thing that would really take our team and our output to the next level just in a plus one factor? and then focus on development or find programs or experiences like that. So the first error is, I'll just take a course. I think the second error is that some people think that it's too complicated or too expensive. Um, I was coaching an executive in a healthcare firm the other day, and he said to me, because our budget is so tight, even though the company's growing really, really fast, I have not been with my peers in the marketing function, because he leads marketing. I have not been with my peers in the marketing function for over five years. I've been so heads down, so focused on this organization, I don't even know what's happening in my own profession. So his simple answer was, I just need to get reconnected with the local marketing professional association, get connected with my peers, and start learning from them in chapter meetings or networking events, simple, low-cost interactions to get your head and your thinking out of your silo or out of your box uh, so that you can really expand your thinking. And then that, that's also valid professional development. That's a way to get out of our head. So the second uh, common mistake, error, or myth is it's too expensive and um, I can't get it from my peers or just connecting with my own professional association. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. I think the third myth is that, um, well, whatever I learn or do, the rest of my organization is never going to allow me to implement. And that, while that may be true, because there may not be the money or the culture or the permission space, um, if you don't get out of your own chair, office, organization, and take a look at what's out there, You'll never know when your organization is ready for that thing or that process or that tool or what's next. As leaders, it's not our job just to be the yes people to the organization and maintain the status quo. It's to be ready with the next idea or what's new or what's different when the organization is ready. And you never know what external factor or internal factor will cause the organization to suddenly be willing to put money in that, or time, 
or attention or the culture shifts and says, you know, we really weren't planning on doing that in admissions or outreach or programs, but now that this one thing has changed over here, we've got to catch up really fast. And I think as leaders, you need to be ready to know what's next so you can really take advantage of that opportunity when it shows up. So you've gone through the development, you're that leader, you're doing, you know, you're, you're reaching outside uh, your uh, comfort zone even uh, and, and broadening your scope. And let's say you do find some great nuggets out there of scalable items that you think and believe that, hey, if I bring this back to campus, we could really do some, some great things. One of the myths you brought up is one that we'll never, they'll never execute it. Some, some listeners are going to say that's a myth, and some are going to say that's a fact, <laughs> um, that that does happen a lot. Um, you know, just uh, not to go too far off in the high grass, but, you know, we, a lot of us will go to conferences. Sure. You know, it's a big thing, and it's not just to go have great dinners and, and get out of the house for a couple weeks um, or a couple days. We do learn things, mm-hmm. and we hear things, and we're like, well, they're able to do that at that university, but we can never do that here, or, um, or if it's just a, a course that they're taking um, or sitting in, oh, I, I, I can't, that's not for me. I think like it would help to know what are steps that you can take as a professional. You're coming back, you've got your dopamine levels are at all, they're high, you're like, man, this is awesome, but then you, 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 you want to tell people immediately. Yeah. Um, you could be sitting in a leadership meeting and, and explain that and it can get shot down quick. Yeah. How does somebody continue to still keep that top of mind, but they did do a temperature check, but not let it diminish their kind of right there, just diminish that vibe that got, like what would, what would you do? What would you, how would you coach that individual at that point? Sure, I think there's some things to do at two levels. One is at that kind of conference high level when you're really mm-hmm. in the conference and getting information. There's some really important things I'll share about that because you don't want to let those insights and ideas uh, slip past you. And the second thing I'll, I'll share is what to do when you get back from that conference and you either run into roadblocks or the organization's not ready. So yes, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we go to conferences not for the dinners. We go because we're trying to network with people and learn what's new and different. And we get overwhelmed at conferences. And that's kind of the purpose. The, the, uh, conferences and participants can't afford to spend five days away to, re- to go to an hour session and have an entire afternoon to reflect and share with each other, you know, around the lobby of the hotel or convention center. They pack it all into a day and a half and you have to kind of absorb it. Our brains really hate that. Mm-hmm. We are not good at paying attention for two straight days to take in new information. So I really advise professionals and leaders when you go to these conferences, Get an app, pull something up on your phone, take a big legal pad, and take all the notes that you possibly can. Don't just listen and not remember the speaker name or the key insight or the topic, um, because the real learning happens when you get back and your dopamine drops and your excitement drops and you're back in your office and the rest of the organization kind of, of, of what's normal and day-to-day kind of creeps in on you. I do this as well. When I go to conferences, I take a lot of notes. I take a lot of pictures just to remind my brain what I learned and what was there. So that's the conference piece. Don't let the dopamine and the excitement piece and the high diminish. Don't forget to take notes and and make really specific uh, records of what you learned. Now, when you come up, when you come back, you know, one of the things that, that that you mentioned is that would never work in our organization. 
we don't learn from each other or take on leadership development because we're trying to depress ourselves into, into finding out things and seeing things that our organizations will never do. Our brains like to compare and contrast the contrast, the what's different from my organization. Even the notion in your head when you say, oh, that's such a great idea and my university will never do that, that is an insight. That is a place for your brain to continue to be curious and learn and reflect and think about that topic, that tool, or that idea even after the conference is over. It's not the signal that you should never think about that again because that'll never work here. Mm -hmm. It is the way for your brain to stay curious and for you to be ready when a portion of that idea or thought could be moved forward. All right, so what happens when you get back to your workplace and you run up against these walls um, or things just aren't possible? The first thing is to, to really at least engage your team. Let your team, your admissions team, whoever reports to you, let them know what you learned. Help them get out of their box and out of their thinking. Don't just keep it all to yourself. Even if you're not ready to implement uh, what you learn, when you come back, do a debrief. Um, in some of my professional peer associations or mastermind groups, uh, after I go to a conference, I will host a Zoom hour and a half video conference and I will take all my peers through what I learned. That's where those notes and those pictures and those insights, you can share your screen and you spark other people's thinking. They may have a better idea about how to do the plus one or the basic next step or the no cost change in your team that could really make something happen and start moving things forward. So don't just keep everything withheld. Um, the other thing is to tell your peers and your leaders in the organization what you're learning. Not because you're trying to be a smart aleck or a know-it-all or, I just got back from this conference, I'm so excited. I mean, faculty come back from conferences and staff come back from conferences and they should be excited. What we wanna do is to get our peers and the leaders in our universities and our organizations just aware that we are thinking outside of our current realm, that we are connected to new ideas. And that even if this one thing I learned at the conference we can't implement, I'm your go-to idea leader. I'm somebody who can help us think about the future when we're ready. I'm paying attention to what's outside these ivy walls or my particular department. That is a valuable leadership skill, a valuable leadership resource. And while a, a, a director or a dean or a president may never say, I really appreciate the fact that you bring back these ideas and you're excited, when they need a new idea, or they want someone who knows something about what's new or what's different, they will remember that you are the person who develops themselves, who shares with their team and brings outside thinking in, even if the only purpose is to get the organization curious about itself and what it can do with the current culture, the current budget, the current enrollment. So timing and delivery is gonna be key on, on that. And I, and I guess also, as uh, you stated too, just making sure that you're you're taking notes, that you're kind of whole, getting that all together. Um, and I'm thinking too with those kind of Zoom meetings that you do mm -hmm. with your teams, with our teams, we're uh, they're becoming part of that process at that point. And, and um, that's something that uh, that I think that a lot of uh, the listeners out there can could benefit from, whether you're on the admissions counselor position or in that leadership role that, um, you know, and I, I would say if you are 
in the admissions counselor role and your leader gets back from a conference and you don't hear much from them, I would empower you to, to ask them how it went and what they learned. Um, sometimes leaders need to be reminded um, and there's a such a thing as leading up um, that indirect leadership piece. Um, so please make sure you're reminding uh, that leader. I like the uh, piece of... Uh, of engaging those uh, those others, but like, what do you do as a, an admissions counselor? Yeah, and if maybe if you're not in admissions, you're in an entry level position. Um, you have a whole other layer now. So we're talking in a leadership position. But what about those that are like they are looking for upward mobility? We're asked to do a lot with little, and then staff that work in these offices, you want to keep them and, and get the most out of them you can. Development. What does that look like for a team? You're, you're, you're strapped with time and it's, and you, you're, you got a small budget. Yeah. What do you do? I think the first thing to do is to help uh, people grow in their role. So even before you think about you know, upward mobility or moving around, you know, the job description or the day-to-day basics, if you will, of admissions is important, but there's probably more inside the role a person can grow into. And you know, in some professions, it's how can they get smarter in the technology or the programs that we use to do our work. In other spaces, it's oh, I know how this, how my work um, uh, goes, and what the emissions piece is. But what's the ripple effect? How does that impact other departments? Um, my my job, the first job I had after I graduated from undergraduate uh, college, as I as I tried and waited to get into graduate school, was in the front office of a laboratory inside a large hospital here in Louisville, Kentucky. And I just did data entry. I worked in the front office and I printed out reports and then I would put them on charts. And this is back in the day when you printed out results, lab results on green white bar paper and then actually ran the physical charts up to the floors. Well, once I learned all the technology and you know realized how the front office worked, I would deliver all of this data to all the different departments, labor and delivery, emergency, intensive care, and what I was curious about was, well, I'm not going to get promoted here. I have no intention of having a career in this hospital. I'm going to go to graduate school and do something else. But what's the ripple effect of my work? The timing of when that lab result got to the floor or got in the nurse's hands or the doctor's hands was critical. And then seeing the impact of that helped me think better about my role. And our little office, front office team improved the efficiencies in just the work that we did. Uh, not because our boss asked us to or because it was part of professional development, just because we got curious about going deeper and fulfilling our role and not just doing the daily tasks on the job description. So even for the most entry-level admissions person, development looks like getting deeper into role, fulfilling the role, and having them learn about the ripple effects of what they do across the rest of the college and university. Let's say you have the person that's listening right now that's saying, I've, I've been doing those things, right? I'm doing those things, but I don't, I don't know what's next for me. I want to, I want to work in this field. I've heard this from many admissions counselors, those that I know, and just being at conferences and being around them. And that's the fact of there's doesn't look like there's any room for me to even do anything more here um, if I want to stay in enrollment. You know, the, whether it's an assistant director or a director, they've been at said position for X amount of time, and I, I don't know what that means for me. Any advice to that young professional? Yeah, so I think in two areas. One is internally, um, 
make sure you and your leader are connecting you to committees, projects, other initiatives where even if you can't formally move up and roll, you're getting out of what you're currently doing or deepening it because you're working on a specific project or you're connected to some other small group initiative on the campus. Uh, that's like a, uh, in HR terms, as a role expansion. Like in addition to doing your work now, I'd like you to work on this particular project because you'll learn and grow, it helps your skill, and while it may not lead directly to a promotion, it's gonna be useful to you in the long run. It's not just a resume filler, but it's something we value and need your input on now. So I think if you're a leader or a director um, of, of people in admissions in these types of roles, think about how can I bring them into some of the work that I do? How can I delegate some of the things that I do to them, even if it's just one slice of a piece of what I do? How can I engage them in projects, committees, initiatives, where they can grow and learn as well. So there's there's internal uh, growth of those individuals, even if there can't be a promotion or there's no place to move right now. Now, with respect to outside the organization, you know, this is not uh, just uh, something that's occurring inside colleges and universities and admissions departments. Every organization I know, even the largest Fortune 50 companies that I work with, are flattening, flattening, flattening. That means we need more people who end up being almost individual contributors. They may not even be on a team with a leader, but they're doing one thing that's really powerful and important. And the number of places you can move up within the org chart, especially vertically, get fewer and fewer and fewer. So I think as, as leaders, we have to be open to the fact that talent is an open market. And that we are gonna, uh, we, it's okay to prepare people for their next role, even if it's not here. Because we may need talent from another, an admissions talent from another college or university or some other industry and profession that we wanna bring in. Um, it's great if we can promote people up or around or they can move in a lattice, you know, kind of diagonal way across the university or college. But if that's not possible, then we just need to keep developing people even though we know they're gonna leave because somebody else is also being developed who may come into our organization tomorrow or five years from now. Resume fillers, it's mm -hmm. not just resume fillers and how to delegate. First thing that came to my mind is how we present those opportunities to our staff. I, I'd say that communication is key. Mm -hmm. Timing and communication, because the one thing we can't do is you don't just delegate something that as a leader, addicts don't really feel like doing this or this is busy <laughs> right. work, right? Because I think our prof young, younger professionals coming up, they, they know what you're doing at that point, right? Even though we think we're not being transparent is thank you so much for allowing me to do your work for you. Yeah. And even if it comes across that way, maybe because of our lack of communication. And I'm thinking that maybe a conversation beforehand about some different development opportunities that would be a great and safe environment for a leader to say, hey, you know, um, I've got some things that I can get you involved in that I do so you can learn more about this position um, and really kind of state that this isn't I'm, this isn't guarantee you anything here. But 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 this will prepare you for future opportunities, uh, whether it's in our university or if you want to stay in this field. But I think it goes back even further. Is Do you know your staff? Mm hmm. Right, because if you do, you're gonna know the the right ones to delegate the right opportunities to, and even the word resume filler. 
to, I hate that word. I yeah. hate I hate it because it's kind of one of those. Hey, it's it. I don't know. It's 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 one of those. Is, oh well, just do it just because. But it sounds better. It sounds sexier. If I say, oh, it's gonna be a resume builder for you. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't know that person, you might have just completely overshot at that point because resume builder for what? I'm not. I don't plan on staying in higher education. Right. And you would know that if we had conversations. The you said I, I want the listeners to know kind of what you mean too. But organizations are they're going flat. That that ha, that is happening at many universities. Some are listening and, and they're saying yeah, and it didn't work, um, or it did work. Uh, what's your experience with uh, organizations when they go flat like that, and and really kind of define that if you will, and then kind of go in a little more depth than I, obviously I can. So sure. I mean I think um, the. Organizations tend to do go flatter and cut out levels of, of hierarchy or leadership because it tends to, it's it ends up being more efficient in many cases not at all but it ends up being more efficient. There's too much distance between the ultimate decision maker or the person who controls the budget or sets the strategy for a team and the people who are actually doing the work. Moreover, technology and systems and processes mean that we don't have to have so many people uh, taking physical paper lab charts around yeah. the floors. Right. For three hours in a large hospital, now it's all electronic, right? So um, that's all good in the sense that um, that it means organizations are more efficient, and we need to be efficient. That's one of the great things about organizations of any kind. We they do figure out how to get stuff done. Uh, it may not be the way we want we want or like, but they know how to do that. The flip side of that is. The, the, the flattening of the organization or the reduction of levels or the, the, the lack of mobility up is not a function of evil. <laughs> it typically is a function of what's happen, happening in the organization. So let's take Yahoo several years, for example, several years ago as an example. So they sent all of their IT and software folks home and had them be working home. They cut out a lot of the managers and they let them kind of work like they look like independent contractors. Here's your work, get it done, and be remote. When Yahoo started to go down, because leadership wasn't good, the market didn't like what they were doing, and their value was dropping, the CEO called everybody back to the office. No more work at home. We're putting managers back in place. We're gonna put teams back in place because we need to be closer together. We need to communicate in front of each other. We need to be in the same building to solve these problems. So the question would be for organizations of any size, department or university-wide is, what does our organization need to look like because of what we're trying to do? Because of our strategy and where we're headed. Not because it's what a for-profit corporation does or flatter is better. So I think, uh, it's, and it's not always flatter is better just because of budget cuts. So think about the culture and the direction of the organization, and that should really drive what the organization looks like and what the hierarchy is and, and how flat or how many tiers are needed there. Uh, the other thing I think you said was really powerful is, you know, when you're working with your team and you're, you're delegating or you're trying to get them engaged in work that's within the department, and it may not be a promotion, is communication and timing are really critical. And you're right, they are. There's one more thing that is is critical, and you, you described it, but you didn't name it, and that is intention. The leader has to be intentional. One, like you said, about knowing the people on my team, knowing their talent, 
who's interested in what, what's your skill level, and then your intention is to give them opportunities to learn and grow and be curious about something, not, as you said, right, delegate something off my plate as a leader I just don't want to do. Your intention about how you delegate, assign people to projects, put them on committees, and help them grow within their role is just as important as the communication and the timing. So just like an organization like Yahoo had an intent of, we have to be better communicators and solve these business problems right away, everybody come back to the home office. I think uh, admissions department and a university or a college needs to think about, well, what's our intention and how does that drive how we're organized and how we develop and grow people even if there's no promotion or movement up as the next piece of development, the next step. Okay, so we've reached a good stopping point in my conversation with Jeff Nally. So make sure you subscribe so you're alerted to when episode two of two comes out. And uh, we will continue the conversation, discussions on leadership development, trust, communication, intentionality, and how we lead our staff. And as we look forward to a lot of the different changes that will continue to occur in higher ed, that we are on the front end working with some of the best individuals that we are preparing, not only for the job at hand, but the job for their future and the future of their career. Thanks for tuning in to Reboot Higher Ed. If you love the Reboot Higher Ed podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time.